game is never over till the end. Deshaun Lowe's right side. Whenever that clock strikes zero. Caught DeAndre Hopkins. Touchdown, Houston. It's Texans All Access. Texans All Access presented by Daikin, keeping Houstonians comfortable with the latest cooling and heating products designed to save energy and improve indoor air quality inside your home. Check out their outstanding limited warranties and financing options at your local dealer and learn more at DaikinLovesHouston.com. D-A-I-K-I-N LovesHouston.com. Daikin. Here's the show. Welcome in, everybody, to a Wednesday edition of Texas All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter, and so glad to be doing All Access, as I said the last couple of nights, because that means we are still playing football here in Houston, and the Texans are getting ready for a Sunday matchup with the Kansas City Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium. Cannot wait. So... We have got you covered on this show as we have the last couple of nights. How about a little Taiwan Jones one-on-one presented by Xfinity with DP City? We've got that for you. How about my man Dirty Red Clint Stern? He's going to join me at the bottom of this hour. Then we're going to have our Men Behind the Mics segment. That means that Mark Vandermeer sits down with another play-by-play voice, and this week it's going to be Kevin Kugler. And you're like, wait a second, I know that name. Yeah, Kevin Kugler is our play-by-play voice for TV for preseason, and he is going to be calling the game for Westwood One. So he is going to join Mark. So we're going to have our Men Behind the Mics segment. And then Mark stopped by for a little bit of more likely to happen. It's the segment that is sweeping the city of Houston, as well it should. And he kind of, I was going to say he flips the script on me, but, man, he's got some, oh, my goodness. He's got some tough ones. I've I got time to think about this because we'll have that later in the show. But I've seen some of them, the ones that I've seen, and, and I, I'm cheating a little bit because I saw his list. Not all of it, but I saw some of it. They're not easy. They are not easy. I don't know what else he has in store for me, but more likely to happen is going to be very, very sweet. So you definitely want to stick around for that. So Taiwan Jones, Clint Sterner, Jacob Martin, Kevin Kugler, all going to be on the show tonight. And then, of course, Mark Vandermeer is going to stop by. But we're going to get this thing kicked off with some hot reads. And they're brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. And we're going to go straight to the podium with a little Texans audio jukebox and start with the head coach of your Houston Texans, that being Bill O'Brien. And he was asked a lot about quarterbacks, durability, right up front. And then when it comes to Deshaun, there's a very fine line between instincts and making sure you're doing the right thing. And for a coach to maybe make sure you don't overcoach a guy like that. Yeah, I've been asked that question a lot. I think there's a fine line. You know, I think that uh, one of the things that makes him a, a great player is that he's he's got uh, excellent instincts for the game. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, you, you, you need to let him play. You know, but I think there's certainly times that you point out that, hey, you know, maybe you can make a better decision here, but not very often. You got to let him play the game. You got to let him see it. You got to let him, you know, do what he does best. These two quarterbacks that will take the field on Sunday, Patrick Holmes and Deshaun Watson, the one thing about them that we probably didn't talk enough about in the pre draft, the run up to the pre draft, was how tough both of these guys 
actually are. Mental toughness, physical toughness. They've got – they definitely have it all. And Coach said, yeah, if you want to be the face of a franchise, you better have it. I mean, I think that the, the, the way that you become, you know, whatever you want to call it, a, a, you know, a franchise quarterback, whatever you want to call it, is by being there every day. Being there every day, every game. You're available to your team day in and day out, um, game in and game out. You know, that's big for your team. That's big for your organization. Uh, yeah, so I, th- I think that durability, the ability to, you know, to get up after taking a tough hit and, and to take care of your body the following week and get ready and get up and get ready for the next game is all a big part of it. No question about it. Now, a guy that stepped into the lineup on Saturday, you all know is, well, Taiwan Jones, right? Well, yeah, he was one guy. But another guy that had stepped in the lineup at some point was Mike Adams, number 27, safety He's been around this league. He played with the Panthers. He's been with the Colts. He has been around this league. What makes him so valuable to this particular team, Coach? Very valuable, yeah. He's uh, he's just a really good guy, good pro. He's been around a long time. Studies well, prepares well. He's been really good in that room. Um, he's, he's been a guy that, you know, last week played more than uh, he had played in the past. Uh and made a couple plays. You know, the, the again the tackle he made on the on the screen pass down the sideline. You know, using the sideline properly to, to you know that could have been a touchdown. And then um, you know the tackle he made in the backfield on a blitz. You know, he, he's done he's done some good things. Of course, I joked a little bit there about Taiwan Jones. Well, coach was asked about him and the impact the last couple of weeks have had of his performance on potentially seeing more time out on the field and what that impact could be once he gets on the field. I think the one thing about Taiwan is that we've always, you know, even when he was on other teams, um, you know, we've always studied him and known that he had uh, obviously special teams ability but offensive ability too to do different things in the backfield or as a receiver. Or, you know, we even uh, back in training camp, I think we, we either talked to him. I don't know if we actually did it, but, at, you know, talked to him. We had some injuries at corner, you know, to play him at corner. Yeah, so he's a very multiple position guy, and and the big thing with him is he's just been dealing with some injuries throughout the year. So we've had to be, you know, very uh, specific about what his role would be, you know, from game to game. And so, uh, but he's a very he's a multi purpose guy that can do a lot of different things. So we talked a little bit about Mike Adams. Was asked about Mike Adams. Talked a little bit more about Taiwan Jones. Those guys have been instrumental. Special teams all year long. Well, a guy that has done it for the last two years who has been incredibly valuable on special teams is A.J. Moore. And Coach was asked about his impact on this team. Yeah, I mean, A.J.'s been a guy that um, I'm glad you asked me about him, to be honest with you. I mean, I think these are the guys, A.J. Moore, Tywan Jones, um, Keon Crossan, Brennan Scarlett, Peter Calambaye. I mean, I can go down the list of core special teams players that have defensive roles or have offensive roles that have performed their roles when when called upon, they've performed their roles very well. And I think that's the mark of a good team when you have guys like that. And and, uh, A.J. just loves football. He's a great teammate. He's a great teammate. He's tough, smart, dependable guy, and really, really uh, glad to have him on our team. And I can promise you, A.J. Moore smiles, the place lights up. He is a great, great teammate, great guy to have in the locker room. So glad that he is here in Houston putting his stamp on this team in any way that he possibly can. All right, let's stay with our audio jukebox, and let's go to our man quarterback, Deshaun Watson. And a big talking point today was 
when do you know you're going to kind of put your head down and go versus eh, maybe I need to step out of bounds and the journey is over as a runner? Sean had this to say. There's times where, you know, you kind of run out of bounds and let the, you know, the running backs, you know, run it in or, you know, call a different play call. But at the same time, I just go off instincts, honestly. Um, I don't, during a play, hey, I'm run 20 yards and then step out of bounds. You know, if it's a play where I can get in the end zone and make a spark for my team, then that's what I'm going to do. So, uh, you know, I just kind of play off instincts and make the best decision for myself and and I uh, felt whenever I made the the cut back in, inside and ran out with the safety I knew I was still up and I just had a couple more yards to go so I just you know got myself in the end zone um if it was a different situation like 10 yards out or if it was more people around I definitely would have just probably just slid or went down uh so it's just kind of just offensive it's interesting today because Deshaun was asked a question that I get asked a lot and I actually see a lot about this I think a lot of the uh, football cognoscenti, if you will, they like to know, okay, well, what style of offense is the Texan style? Well, Deshaun answered that question today. It's really no style, honestly. We can run the ball. We can throw the ball. We can finesse. We can run downhill. We can do, I mean, pretty much everything. That's the way we built. Um, you know, if we all are on the same page and execute and, you know, understand each situation and see it through the same set of eyes, you know, we're tough to stop. But, uh, that's what we got to do on a consistent basis. And we got to continue to fix that throughout the week, starting today. Um, and then, you know, in the meeting rooms and even, you know, outside of, you know, the stadium and, and the facility, we still got to communicate and watch film and, and try to, you know, build that chemistry and, and see it through the same set of eyes. He's right. This offense can do a lot. He kind of broke it all down. They can run with power. They can run outside. They can throw deep. They can take the short passing. And there's a lot of different things this offense can do. And when they're clicking on, as many of those as possible. It's a really hard offense to stop. There's no question. Uh, let's get to, obviously, Patrick Mahomes. That's a big, big talking point. And he was asked what that experience is like going against him when facing him at Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, I mean, it's cool. I mean, it's cool to see uh, a fellow friend uh, uh, of mine and a guy that's playing the same position as me um, have so much success and sit in, in live action. So uh, it's definitely dope. It's going to be a good experience. Like you said, we played earlier this year. It was was a was a good game. Went back and forth. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just two, two good teams going head-to-head. And, you know, we're just trying to, you know, be the best we can for our team and help our team win. And finally, with a couple of days to look back on what happened on Saturday, he was asked about his escape and throw to Taiwan Jones. What did he see? Why did that play happen? What was it? Honestly, I should have got the ball out a little sooner. Uh, I should have went to the field where Kenny was instead of going towards Hop. Knowing it was, you know, both kind of the guy that was over at Taiwan was uh, going to fall off versus the, the coverage of Blitz Zero they were doing. And um, But it was just kind of just, you know, I was just suspecting at least one guy to come free, and I was going to buy myself some time. But the other guy came free on the other edge, and I just kind of braced myself and, the guy, I think it was 33, he came and I stepped up and he spun me around. Once I spun around, 58 got caught by surprise and he tried to hit me, but he hit my like, back shoulder and he kind of bounced off of me. And it was just like at the same time, and I just spun out of it and I spun out of it and, and I saw Tom Wan just kind of sitting there. And actually he did a good job of really coming towards me instead of running across the field or running you know, vertical. And um, you know, I just gave it to him and then he just made a great play after that. All right, there you go with a little Texans audio jukebox. Hearing from 
head football coach Bill O'Brien and the signal caller for your Houston Texans, Deshaun Watson, as they strode to the podium and answered questions from the media today on their, well, for Deshaun, it's his weekly appearance. Coach will be back up there on Friday, but handled some questions from the media today as they get both get ready for the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday. Now, a guy that played a big role in helping the Texans get to a point where they could take on Kansas City is number 34, Taiwan Jones. Let's get a chance to meet Taiwan a little bit further if you don't know him. I know a lot of people have been asking about him. Hey, t- tell us about Taiwan Jones. Well, DP City had a chance to catch up with Taiwan to see what he's all about. Do a little deep slant one-on-one presented by Xfinity. We'll have that for you next right here on Texans All Access. I am calling all my Houston area teachers right about now. I got a little something that's going to help you, and it's free, and there's nothing better than something that can help you and be free, especially if you're a teacher. How about Toro's Math Drills, presented by ConocoPhillips? I need you to sign up for it, and that way you can bring a little Texas football to your classroom and have a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. All you have to do is go to HoustonTexas.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. All you guys are back in the swing of things in the classroom. You're back after all the holiday vacations, and now you're like, oh, man, how do I keep everybody going? This is how you do it. Bring Texas football to your classroom. I guarantee you, your kids will learn math. They I guarantee it. I promise you. All right, it's time to go to our Deep Slant one-on-one interview of the week presented by Xfinity. And this week, well, it's a guy that if you didn't know him prior to Saturday's game, you now know him, and his name will be in your memory bank forever, and that's Taiwan Jones. We've had a chance to get to know him this year as he's been excellent on special teams. We've had him in studio a few times. He has been just tremendous. Of course, one play will be remembered forever by all Texans fans, what he did last Saturday. He stepped in studio and caught up with D.P. Sidhu. All right, you had the phenomenal play. You had the 34-yard catch towards the end of overtime um, from Deshaun Watson. You've been in the league for nine years now, so where does that play and that win rank in your nine-year career? Um, I think it's number one. Number uh, one. <laughs> somebody asked me that uh, before, and I wasn't sure, but it's for sure number one. Uh, I mean, it was against my old team. It was at the end of the game to win the game so it's, and to advance in the playoffs as well. So that de- that's definitely number one. You, you've only been with the Texans for one year, and you've already – You've already had a play that probably ranks for most Texans fans as one of their best in recent history and maybe even franchise history because it was such a big win. I remember after the game, you said you thought you were going to score on that catch. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to score too, actually. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, you know, I'm a guy that pride myself on uh, feeling like I can score anytime I get the ball and to get the ball in open space like that. Um, once I saw the end zone, I thought for sure I was going to score. You're pretty fast. I looked up somewhere at your pro day. You ran a four two eight forty yard dash. Is that correct? Four two seven. Four two seven. Okay, because when I saw you on the field, and I remember thinking this in the preseason and in the off season as well, I was like he's Taiwan Jones is fast. Do you think you could still run about oh, yeah. that fast? I still think that I'm <laughs> the fastest on the team. So yes. Okay, we got some fast guys on the team too. You're right up there with them. Yeah. All right, you said it was special because it came against your former team. You spent two years in Buffalo, mm-hmm. and I was surprised to learn that in your early in your second year, uh, last season, you were named a special teams captain. And when then I read the story about how that came to be, it was after some pretty unusual circumstances. So 
Week two versus the Chargers in 2018. I think a lot of people saw this story nationally. Cornerback Vontae Davis, he uh, retires at halftime. You were in that game. He was your teammate. And then in that same game, you took a major hit uh, during the game. Walk us through what happened to that because um, I read about it and I almost couldn't believe that you were able to get up and and play the very the very next week after that. Yeah, it was one of those weird plays. Um, our returner, I think he muffed the, the the ball, and it rolled into the end zone. I just remember trying to recover it and at least get it out the end zone so it wouldn't be a safety. And uh, After I picked up the ball, uh, there was already guys on me, and I was spinning out of a tackle, and halfway through the tackle, my helmet came off, and they had so many guys coming down already pursuing at full speed that um, one of the guys, he couldn't stop, and he he caught me face first without my helmet on, and it was a, a, wow. a pretty tough collision. Yeah, Is it true that you were laying face down and there was blood coming out of your head? Yeah, so, you know, fortunate for me, I, I never lost consciousness, but it, That's did, amazing. it did knock me to the ground. I just remember laying there, and I felt the blood, and I was like, Oh my God! Is my face ripped open? Like I didn't know what to expect. I didn't quite feel the pain just at the moment, but I knew it was bad. And uh, sure enough, as I opened my my eyes and looked at my hands, I saw all the blood uh, gushing down. And even then, I, I still didn't know what to expect because I was able to get up on my own. Like I said, I never lost consciousness. And walking into the locker room, um, the doctors they looked at me and I said, "Oh, you're good." But they were kind of downplaying it, so I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I'm I'm going to be able to go back to the game. Oh, and, you wanted to go right back into the game? <laughs> yeah, and then they're like, yeah, no, nah, we're just going to go. It's take a lot you of blood. <laughs> yeah, and I I remember walking to the showers to get ready to go to the doctors, and that was the first time I saw it, and it was like when I saw it, I started to feel all the pain, and oh. I, I couldn't <laughs> believe what I was seeing, and uh, yeah, it was crazy. You didn't have a concussion, but you got a lot of stitches after that, right? Yeah, um, I got a lot of stitches. I think I got 12, 13 stitches, and but I was able to play the next week, which which I did. Okay, so you coming back and playing the next week on the heels of a leader on the team retiring at halftime, you come back the very next week, and a lot of fans that week wanted to know why you weren't captain of that team, and then your peers voted you special teams captain. How special was that? Because obviously you take a hit like that. That's not the first thing that goes through your mind is like, oh, this is going to make me team captain. But how special was that week knowing that the fans and everyone really appreciated your effort and how tough you were. Um, it, whenever you you get an award that uh, that your peers vote on, it, it always means a lot. And you know, it it, it it was a number of things, not just that play, but uh, the guys they saw the work that I put in during the off season uh, after returning from a another crucial you know uh, injury from the previous year. Um, you know, they saw my work ethic and they knew that I was willing to put my myself on the line for the team. And, uh, yeah, they, they voted me team captain. So here you are. You, you get you get to score one of the biggest plays against your former team in overtime. And Bill O'Brien has talked about the fact that you have sort of your packages that you run on offense. But mainly we see you a lot more on special teams. But today in his press conference, he, he said that, you know, he likes to talk about the special teams players, the core special teams guys. Your name always comes up. So when you got here, what did you sort of envision your role to be? Um, he made it clear. Uh, uh, Bill O'Brien, he's done an awesome job of, you know, bringing in guys that, you know, believe in special teams and take pride in special teams. We got a lot of young guys that 
take a lot of pride with AJ Moore and you know Keon Crossan, you yeah those yeah, all those guys a lot of special teams core guys mm-hmm. and as a veteran uh, it's rare to see that uh, to see a lot of young guys that buy into it and me being a vet I just I try to you know give them my story and instill how important uh, special teams is and you know you can stick around uh, a long time by just playing special teams because we all got our story we all got positions that we want to play but you know I just reassure them that you know special te- you you take pride in special teams and you can stick around a long time and you've made some big plays on special teams this year Brian Anger even said you're killing it uh, out there I remember the Indianapolis game you down the ball at the one yard line and it seems like first of all the special teams unit um ranked first in the league they finished first in kickoff return coverage punt return coverage you were part of that group and I feel like the crowd really gets excited about about big plays like that on special teams uh, how much have you enjoyed this first season in Houston and getting to make some big plays like that um, it's, it's been very exciting uh, I gave a speech to our special teams uh, the other day I told the guys that you know when I'm out there I'm, I feel like I'm competing against my, my teammates in a fun way because we all want to make plays. And, you know, I've been on teams where, you know, not a lot of guys care or take pride in special teams, and it sucks to be out there. But our special team unit is, is very fun to be out there. We're all competing. We're all having fun. We all believe in each other and what we're doing. And, you know, it, it helps when you got coaches like Seeley and Bill O'Brien who takes pride in you know, and uh, take pride out of the guys that that's coming in. So, so special teams, but then you also get to go in in a po- playoff postseason game in overtime as part of the offense. How special was it? Because knowing that you're a special teams guy, you're a core special teams player, to get to line up on offense. Because I know that everyone's got their positions that they're here to play. Um, but that sort of takes a backseat to special teams. How, how cool was it to go out there and, and make a play on the offense? Oh, man, it, it, it was awesome. Uh, like you said, anytime we're out on the field, we want to be – we want to make an impact. And to be out there on offense and to get the opportunity to play my position uh, and get the ball in that type of crucial moment, it, it was everything. It was very special to me. When the play call came in and you knew that, that, was, that it was going to be you, I mean, what was going through your mind? Well, really, uh, I was just thinking, you know, just do my job. Uh, I didn't think too much of it. I didn't. I wasn't sure if I'll get the ball or not. Um, but when I did, in my head, I'm like, take advantage of this opportunity. As soon as I got the ball, I was thinking touchdown. So I'm sure you've got a lot of people out there thinking, hey, this guy needs to get the ball some more. He's got some. He's got some wheels on him. Bill O'Brien said something really interesting. Uh, he said that in camp, they liked you so much. He was. They thought about switching you to cornerback. You played cornerback before, right, in college? Yeah, I've, uh, I I got my scholarship for Eastern Washington for corner. Uh, I played two years with the Raiders at corner. I didn't get many much game time, but I have uh, I have you know knowledge of the position, and you know I, I I play against the Gunners on special teams, so I get reps at being a corner. I'm very familiar with it. So yeah. So you played corner for the Raiders as well. Yeah. When did you switch back to running back? Um. After Dennis Allen left and the new coaches came in, then I switched back to running back. That's unusual, like in the NFL, to switch positions like that. Was that was that your choice? Was it challenging? How how was that for you? Um, you know, I, I'm a guy that if I'm on a roster, I I want to make a difference. I want to make an impact. Whatever I can do to ha- to help the team has always been my mindset. So whatever position that need help filling, I'm willing to do it and. 
you know, I'm very competitive. So if it's that corner, if it's that running back, or if it's that special teams, I'm willing to do it because I'm just excited to, you know, I'm excited for the one-on-one competitions. That's that's what gets me going on Sundays. All right. I read somewhere that uh, you really struggled um, in high school and you were diagnosed with dyslexia, but like really late in, in high school as well. Mm-hmm. How how did that affect your playing in, in high school or college? Does that still affect you? I mean, how, how does one deal with that like in, in the NFL? Um, when I was diagnosed, um, I guess for me it was just understanding, okay, uh, this is why it's a little harder for me. This is what I need to do to, you know, learn something it's just understanding who I was and what works for me um since I've been in the league uh it hasn't affected me too much uh, most of the coaches uh they understand you know uh my they understand uh what I struggle with and it really doesn't affect me much yeah I guess you've known about it long enough what about the kids that might be listening that are struggling with it? what sort of advice do you have because you obviously overcame it and you're performing at a really high level um, don't don't let you know whatever you struggle with be a crutch. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't feel down on yourself. Just work that much harder. Um, and that's what I did. That was the approach I took. Yeah, I have a, I have a you know whatever you want to call it a disability, but I don't look at it as that. I don't look at it as that. I'm just different. I learned different. So let's talk. To, I want to talk to you about your running backs group because they Duke Johnson, Carlos Hyde. Those guys were so happy for you after that win against Buffalo. What's that room been like? Because you were sort of the veteran, and you only got here, what, in the off season, May, mm. May or so, and then and then you're sort of the wily veteran because Duke, Carlos, they all came much later. Obviously, Buddy Howell was here, but then Cullen was also uh, a rookie as well. What's what's the dynamics like in that group? Uh, them all my brothers. We like a big family in there. Uh Whenever anybody makes a play, we're all just equally excited as if it's us making a play. So uh, for me to get the call against, again, against my former teammates, they they know what that game meant for me. Uh, During the game, uh, Duke saw my frustration when we were down a lot. He kept coming up to me and saying, you know, I got you, I got you. Uh, It just shows that he know what this game means, what this game means to me. And oh, I got you meaning because it's your former team. You really wanted to, yeah, to win. Right. So every time he went in the game, he was playing like he was playing for me. And it just shows, you know, how close we are. So when my number was called and he got to watch me make that play, uh, knowing what it meant for me, he was he was very excited. Is everyone going to do that for Carlos again this week? And although Carlos had a great game the first time against Kansas City. Oh, no doubt. You know, we, we, we as players, we understand – what it means when you go against a, a team that may have passed on you or whatever the case may be, we know it, it means just a little more. So we definitely play a, a little harder. Not that we don't play hard all the time, but we understand what it means to each player to play against their former team. All right, good stuff. We've really had a lot of fun watching you. Hopefully we get to see you for many, many more games to come. Taiwan Jones, thanks so much for joining us on the Deep Slam. Uh, thanks for having me. He's been doing it all year on special teams. If you've been paying close attention, you've seen 34 make some huge plays on special teams. And he came through with maybe the most important offensive play of the year to this point. To this point, that's key. That's Taiwan Jones with DP City. Okay, we get back. My man Dirty Red is going to step in and give us his thoughts about what he saw Saturday, what he wants to see improved, what he liked about the second half, getting ready for Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City, and all that goes with this playoff game. Clint Sterner's with me next on Texans All Access.
Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, your host for the evening, and I'm joined now by a good friend. We've had a chance to catch up this year, and I absolutely love this segment more than any other I do this week. You can hear him on Sports Radio 610 from 2 to 6, and you definitely want Sports Radio 610 on all week because 24-7, 365, they got it going live, talking Texans and Chiefs and Texans and what they did against the Bills. And joining me right now, you can hear him from 2 to 6, is my man Clint Sterner. Clint, how you doing, my man? Man, I'm doing good. Hey, Johnny, I, I know we're getting into playoffs and it's late in the season, man, but this is my favorite segment. But between me and you, we can chew up some oxygen, baby. We need to make it one of them 30-minute segments or something. I, I know what you're talking about. We do we do need to do that. We absolutely we, – we barely have enough time to fit it into this segment. So I know exactly That's what right. you're talking about, my brother. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Clint, down – 16 and nothing. Offense hadn't done a whole lot against the Buffalo Bills. What were your thoughts at that particular moment when the Texans got the ball after J.J. Sack? They forced the field goal. But what were you thinking about the offense at that particular moment as they got that drive started that would eventually turn things around? But before that, what were you thinking? Well, man, just here we go again. You know, here, here we go again with one of those um, Houdini disappearing acts of, of production, you know, for whatever reason. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. We don't need to get into that right now. But, um, you know, just one of those spells of two quarters. You hope it doesn't run into four quarters. Uh, and, and, I mean, it, you just you can't explain it. Um, but, but, boy, it was a, an extremely frustrating first half of football. And um, it's one of those things that they're lucky that they were playing the Buffalo Bills. That, and, I, and I say that in a sense, I don't mean it disrespectfully, just it was a more defensive, ball control, uh, win, the, win the time of possession type of team. They weren't real dangerous offensively. So, luckily, that dry spell on offense only uh, meant a 16-0 deficit and not something bigger like it could be with some of these offenses that are in the playoffs so if you're going to have a dry spell first half against buffalo in the wild card round is the time to do it clint we've talked about this a little bit on on our shows and i know that you have as well what was it in your mind that sort of flipped the script for the offense that kind of you know got it going got it out of its malaise because it felt like on that drive where they went down and scored, it just it looked like a completely different offense, a completely different team, and then they carried that through for the most part for the rest of the game. But in your opinion, what was it that sort of flipped in your mind for this offense to kind of get it get it in gear, basically? Well, I think schematically, I think you know, I think Bill O'Brien come out of the locker room at halftime and and realized that he was going to have to use Deshaun Watson in the run game, and and. Most people out there don't understand it and don't understand what's different because a lot of it looks the same. But in the first half of the game, he's clearly – it's a run-it call. He's handing it. They're trying to establish a run. And then in the second half, obviously the momentum swung, but there was a conscious effort to get Deshaun Watson involved in that game. And when you get Deshaun Watson involved with his feet in the game, then all of a sudden they've got – the defense has to adjust to stop that. Now Hop gets going. Now, now you know, the, the priority is stopping – the run game, particularly with, uh, I mean, obviously Duke Johnson had a great game and Carlos Hyde contributed, but when you get when you add the element of Deshaun Watson, it is a a real scare tactic. It is one of those where defensive coordinators have to find a way to stop the bleeding, and when you stop that bleeding, you got one of the best receivers, if not the best receiver in the league, Roman free in the secondary, and Deshaun was able to find him a couple of times. So I think schematically, I think Bill O'Brien made a conscious effort to get him get him involved with his feet. And then I think, you know, 
I think Deshaun Watson, he's got to find a way to do it coming out of the gate in the first half. But I think Deshaun Watson obviously turned uh, – he flipped a switch and said, hey, I'm not going to run around back here and behind the line of scrimmage and try to make plays when protection breaks down uh, or when somebody doesn't create separation. I'm going to put my foot in the ground. I'm going to get north and go get three or four yards. And that those two things combined really helped them stay ahead of the chains. It created a couple of big plays. Uh, and, and, man, it, it, it fed off of the momentum that J.J. Watt created with the sack. They, they just didn't kill the momentum. They kept it rolling with an aggressive approach, man. And, and uh, it, it was enough this week to get the W in dramatic fashion, and Houston loved it. Speaking of J.J. Watt, did you – now, we've seen J.J. do some, some pretty amazing things, Clint. Did you see kind of the impact that he was going to have on the game quite like he did on Saturday, especially that sack? But he was getting the second half. He was getting to Josh Allen numerous times. Were you surprised at all that J.J. was able to have that kind of impact coming back from the injury that he had? Yeah. Look, I mean, to think that he was able to, to, to press you know, offensive linemen off of him in the run game and in the, in the pass rush, um, to think that he, would, he was able to – uh, you know, the scarier part to me is is when he dives for somebody or when he falls down and he puts his hands, his palms on the turf to brace his, you know, his 270-pound frame, you know, that that's pretty taxing on a, on the peck as far as catching that, jolting that that peck. I mean, so all in all, there is no doubt about it. I, I was, I, was, I mean, I, it was remarkable the way that he was able to survive four quarters, much less play and have the impact that he had. Now, I, I did, it did not surprise me, John, that, the response to if he were to make a big play. I said it earlier in the week, if you can get one or two big plays out of, out of J.J. Watt, it, it's great from a production standpoint, but what that means for all of a sudden uh, uh, Whitney Merciless and Jacob Martin are legitimately for four quarters going to be getting free. The crowd is going to be sitting on the edge of their seat. Deshaun Watson will respond. So I was not surprised that if he could make those plays, I was not surprised at the momentum shift and what it meant to the outcome of the game. Yeah, it was a pretty distinct uh, overturn in momentum when he got that sack. You're absolutely right. And everybody, it seemed to, seemed to feed off of that offense, defense, and even special teams. Johnny, Johnny if you watch it, man, it, like I, I watch, and, and I, I don't know why I do this, but but instead of just enjoying the game, I probably like you do, you, watch, you try to find the details and watch guys after plays and, Man, I, I watched him after that sack, and he went straight to the sideline, and immediately him and Deshaun Watson have an exchange. He goes to the to, to the bunch of the teammates, and, and I'm guessing he was saying, hey, all right, y'all, come on. Let's go. It's time. That's that's the trigger right there. And then he talks to the crowd, and the crowd goes, goes wild. And look, a lot of that show, I get it. A lot of it is a character that J.J. Watt is, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean that with the utmost respect. But – when, when it in that moment when it's Deshaun Watson teammates fans, I think that's genuine, sincere, and I think that it it, it is an absolute game changer. And so, um, it, it was big this week, man. No doubt about it. You know, Clint, you bring up a great point because the one thing that I noticed was, you know, after JJ gets a sack, and and this is pretty much every player throughout the league, they get a sack and they've got some sort of sack dance or some sort of sack celebration. You know, somebody's doing the robot. You know, somebody's doing a salute. Whatever the case might be. And J.J. will usually do a salute or he's got some sack dance. After he sacked Allen, he got up and he's mic'd up. And he's like, let's go, let's go. There were about a dozen guys 
that ran over to him at that particular moment, almost as if the guys realized what he had been through to get on the field, and then he turns in that particular play. It was almost like the guys responded to that because they all sort of flooded to him out on the field. If you would have taken a still shot, you would have seen about a dozen guys around him celebrating, which you don't normally see. You see him celebrate, maybe celebrates with a couple of guys. Everybody was running on the field for the field goal, the defense. They all celebrated with him. I think you bring up a great point. Um, and I saw that like right before he went over to the sideline. Uh, but I'm with you. I catch those little things as well. And there was one right after the Hopkins fumble with Whitney Merciless and Bernardrick McKinney that I noticed on the field too, where right before that sack where those two guys were like you know, exhorting their teammates like, come on, we've got to stop them here. Like, we can do this. We've done this before. Let's do it again. So you're right. You and I probably see some of those things um, that maybe other people miss, and uh, hopefully people like to listen to us talk about it because we end up seeing it. Now it's Kansas City, Clint. Uh, it's a guy in Patrick Mahomes uh, who the Texans have seen some week six. Had Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill at his disposal. Did not have Sammy Watkins. His offensive line's a little different. I don't think his offensive line is great. But I think one thing that's developed for Kansas City over the last few weeks is Damian Williams in the running game. And that's been problematic for teams. As you get a feel for Kansas City and you think about stopping that offense, Clint, what do you think end up being the keys to stopping them and, of course, slowing down Patrick Mahomes? Well, I think you've got to limit their opportunities. I mean, this is a week where – I, I use the term loosely because I hate the term, but establish the run on the offensive side of the football with Deshaun Watson. Um, establish the run to, to keep it out of their hands. All the coach speak that we hear and we use, um, you've got to you've got to limit their possessions. You got you got to you got to take advantage of every opportunity that they give you. I mean, look, the, the Texans, whether it's Bradley Roby. Um, you know, or or, or uh, Lonnie Johnson that, that in, in the secondary, I think they're a good matchup. I think they've got good matchups. I went back and watched that film from week six this morning. Um, you know, I don't think they are. I know they match up really well. I'm a little concerned about Jaleel Adai being out and Tayshawn Gibson being out and how they how they uh, respond and, and, and how they replace those guys versus, versus Kansas City. But look, man, they're, they're going to come out. I, I think that they, they may – um, they may loosen up a little bit. If you're going to try to attack this Houston team, I, I think the way to do it is, is to attack them through the air. Now, they'll use their backs, obviously, in, in the run game and in the scat game. But, but I, I, just, I, think, I think the biggest thing that I expect is Pat Mahomes to put the team on his back and try to go score 45 points. I, I just, I, I, now, that's the way I think it's going to come out of the shoots. Um, depending on how the game unfolds, I think they'll adjust accordingly. But if I'm the Texans, I'm expecting a lot of Pat Mahomes uh, throwing the ball around the park. I know as of late they hadn't necessarily done a ton of scoring, but but I, I wouldn't sleep on these guys the way that, that people were talking about New England, maybe not having the firepower. I don't know if that's the case with Kansas City. I would expect them to come out and try to put up a boatload of points. Yeah, I'm with you. I got a feeling that they'll kind of read how this game is going to go, and I know their defense apparently has been better. I get that. But I saw the L.A. Chargers move the ball up and down the field on them, and the Chargers don't have a great offensive line, and they've got some good skill players. But the Chargers moved the ball up and down the field. They just couldn't put the dadgum thing in the end zone uh, and then blew a couple of fourth downs that were key. Uh, the Chargers shot themselves in the foot. So if I'm Patrick Mahomes, I'm thinking, I don't want this in the hands of my defense, sort of like it was in week six. i got to put it on myself. I think you're, I think you're dead right about that Clint. Johnny, look at it, bro. I mean it's it was seventeen to sixteen if I if I if I remember correctly, into the first half. 
of week six. And, and the Texans started that half and ended that half, literally started and ended that half with the turnover. They got, they got no, um, no calls went their way. Um, I mean, they, the, the Kansas City Chiefs, they, they threw up a prayer to Tyreek Hill. He climbs the ladder and goes and gets it. Ill-advised throw that just happens to work out. They get two plays that are, that are questionable penalties that convert third downs. I mean, everything went Kansas City's way, and it was a 17-6 to ball game after the Texans fell, fell behind 17-3, to man. You, you cannot play. Now, I think the game plan, I've been critical of Bill O'Brien's game plans, man. I think the game plan versus Kansas City was solid gold. It was absolutely beautiful. They just turned it over twice and, and couldn't, and couldn't uh, get out of their own way. They turned it over twice, gave up two possessions, and scored 16. I mean, it's, it's the, 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 the Texans with the right plan um, is, is going to be hell to deal with in the playoffs if they figure out how to get four quarters. And, and that's, that's against Kansas City or anybody else. Yeah, I'm with you. Do you give Tennessee a shot to go up to Baltimore and beat the Ravens? I know everybody's got a shot in playoffs. Like I get that, but do you give them a realistic shot to knock off the Ravens? Yeah, man. Look, I, I think this is the deal: is that if you're going to beat the Ravens, you're going to have to outscore the Ravens, and that's that's the plan for Houston. That's the plan for Kansas City. That's the plan for anybody in the NFC that that runs up against them if they make it to the playoffs. You're going to have to outscore them. The only exception to, to that opinion of mine is Tennessee. Tennessee's a team that I believe, I mean, I don't know what Derrick Henry ran for the last two weeks, the last two times he's touched the field, almost 400 yards yep. um, in, in two games. I mean, you're talking about a guy, at a, a team that can really put a plan together if they can find a way to just slow them down for a quarter or two quarters on the offensive side of the football if they can slow Lamar Jackson down for a quarter or two and take advantage of a couple opportunities and get that thing into the second half, then they've got the potential to hit a couple of big plays with A.J. Brown and Corey Davis and Jonu Smith. Those three guys, if you combine their 40 times, I think they're probably, they can probably run with any three times in the league on any team. And then Derrick Henry can pound them and chew the clock. Uh, Tanny Hill's a guy that can hurt you with his feet. I just think they can win a different way, whereas everybody else is going to have to outscore them. So yeah, I, I think it could be it'd be a big upset, but I think it's not out of it's not out of the the realm of possibility. There he is, Clint Sterner. You can listen to him two to six on our flagship sports radio six ten. He is fantastic, and you just heard why. Clint, you're the best, my man. Thank you, brother. We'll talk to you hopefully again next week. Yes, sir. You got it, brother. Be good. When we get back, it's time to go behind the mics. With two men that will be calling the game, one for the Texans, one for Westwood Radio. It's our good friend Kevin Kugler joining the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer, next right here on Texans All Access. we got one hour down and one hour left to go for this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. And it's time for this week's Stats Challenge brought to you by Schlumberger. Visit HoustonTexans.com today to register to take the stats challenge, and I'm going to give you a percentage, and that percentage is 92.86%. 92.86%. That's a pretty high percentage for anything. Well, that was Deshaun Watson's passing percentage, completion percentage, after the Texans had fallen behind 16 to nothing. So essentially, after J.J. Sack and the subsequent Hauschka field goal, at 16 to nothing, Deshaun Watson went 13 of 14, completing 
2.8%. Now, if you want three significant digits, 92.9%. If you want two significant digits, 93% of his passes. Either way, that's really, really good for anybody at that particular moment in that sort of stressful pressure cooker. And Deshaun dominated in the second half. 92.9% of his passes, 13 to 14 in that second half and overtime. And that is this week's Stats Challenge brought to you by Schlumberger. Visit HoustonTexas.com today to register to take the Stats Challenge. Now, a guy that has all kinds of stats and facts and figures all at his fingertips is a guy that has to call the game on Sunday. And there will be two gentlemen calling this game. You know Mark Vandermeer, the voice of the Houston Texans. You also know Westwood One's Kevin Kugler. Like, wait a second, Kevin Kugler. Yeah. He is our play-by-play voice for preseason television. He is going to be calling the game for Westwood One Radio. So both Mark and Kevin are going to be in the building calling the game just like preseason. Well, they got together for our Men Behind the Mics segment as Mark talked with Kevin Kugler. Coming off that Saints-Vikings game, and now you're going to call another road upset. The Texans taking on the Chiefs on Westwood One on Sunday. Well, first of all, take me to the game you just did. How was that for you? That was pretty exciting stuff. It was uh, it was extremely exciting. So, you know, you go into a game sometimes, and you know this, you go into a game with an expectation. It doesn't mean it changes how you call the game, but you go into it thinking, okay, this is probably what's going to happen or this is what is most likely to happen. And, and not too many of those scenarios did you think, okay, the Vikings are going to kind of control a game in New Orleans against the Saints and end up winning this thing at the very end on a final play in overtime, and that's exactly what happened. It was a stunning it was a stunning development. I was surprised that it happened. I was surprised at how well the Vikings were able to limit what the Saints wanted to do offensively. That's a huge win, and it kind of changes the narrative about Kirk Cousins as a quarterback, in my opinion. He's just gone on the road, beaten one of the all-time great quarterbacks on his home field in a year in which he's still playing at the top of his game. And Drew Brees, I was very impressed with everything I saw from Minnesota in that game. What did you think of Brees? There are a lot of people criticizing the performance. Look, it was a very close game, and whenever you're his age, which isn't very often in this league, you have quarterbacks playing at that high a level that late in their career, but when you're someone his age, people are going to pick it apart and say, well, maybe this is the beginning of the end. What are you seeing? I still think he's got a, a little bit left in the tank. I, he, we're talking about two guys who are above the age of 40 that are in the most prominent positions and are now both free agents at this moment in Drew Brees and Tom Brady. And if you were to say, which one of them do you think has a little bit more in the tank? I'm not so sure I wouldn't say Drew Brees at this point. I know he was injured this year, and I know he didn't play his best game. But over the final four games of the season, he had 15 touchdowns and no interceptions going into that playoff game. There was no indication at all that Drew Brees wasn't performing at anything but a high level. I I think it's just one of those games he faced a defense that was able to take advantage of an offensive line that he had in front of him. They put constant and consistent pressure on him throughout the day with Griffin and Daniil Hunter, and Drew Brees didn't have his best game. But I still think there's some playing days ahead for Drew Brees, and I think they'll be in a Saints uniform. Kevin Kugler joining us on Texans Radio. It's a weird time in the NFL. You mentioned Brees and Brady, free agents, and they both get knocked out on Wild Card Weekend. And here we have Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson – playing in the divisional round. Has the changing of the guard officially taken place now? I mean, can we declare it done? What are your thoughts? I think it has, yeah. You're looking at the AFC, three of the brightest young quarterback stars 
in the entire league that are still playing. You look in the NFC, you've got Russell Wilson, who is still a youngish quarterback, but he's now old compared to some of these guys that's leading the charge over there. Uh, I think we are now seeing the changing of the guard, and I think it ensures that the NFL isn't going to go through the wild swings that the NBA has gone through when they've gone through their cycles of cycling out one group of stars and waiting for the next stars to develop. The, the breeze and Brady longevity with Roethlisberger and others has really ensured this bridge has been built before the old generation to this new generation of quarterback. And I think it ensures that the NFL keeps this consistent level of play and this consistent level of fan interest. But, you know, you look at the NFC and there's a lot of traditional franchise names that are still playing over there. But the AFC in these playoffs is where the real young quarterback power resides. All right, so the Texans taking on the Chiefs. We all know what happened in Week 6, and that really has very little to do with what might go down on Sunday. But your thoughts as you zoom in from 30,000 feet as to what we might see on Sunday when Kansas City and Houston get together. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at two teams that are in different positions right now than they were in Week 6. Both teams have guys back that they didn't have in that game. Juan Thornhill not being there for Kansas City in the back end of that defense this time around, I I think plays a big role and and kind of an underrated role, to be honest with you. I I think this is somebody that's kind of getting glossed over. I thought Thornhill has had a really good season in the back end of that uh, Chiefs defense, and and I think that's something that the Texans are going to look to exploit. The run game is obviously something that everybody's going to focus on in this game because how consistently the Texans were able to succeed on the ground in Week 6 against the Kansas City Chiefs. But this is a Chiefs defense that is much, much better than they were, especially against the run in those first six weeks of the season. That sort of capped a real rough stretch for the Chiefs as far as stopping the run when Carlos Hyde and company ran all over them in Week 6. Not to say that Bill O'Brien is not going to try to run the football because he has to in this game on Sunday afternoon, but this is a Chiefs defense that has shored its defensive stopping ability as far as run defense up with additions to that defensive line, and they've just gotten better and more comfortable in Steve Spagnuolo's system. Kevin Kugler joining us from Westwood One, calling the game on Sunday for the national radio audience. And, Kevin, you've called a lot of Deshaun Watson football games, including his NFL preseason debut doing the Texans TV call when the Texans were at Carolina that day. And also, I think about the Sunday nighter that year when the Texans lost to the Chiefs, but he threw five touchdown passes. What did you make of what you saw from afar when Deshaun Watson had the performance in the second half against Buffalo this past weekend? Uh, he just, you know, it, it, you feel like, and I don't know if it's the same way with Texans fans, but when you watch somebody and you think, wow, I've seen everything I could possibly see. And then you see Deshaun Watson pull off that escape, twirl around, spin around, get it downfield. Uh, you, you go, well, clearly, I haven't seen everything that Deshaun Watson can do. He's just a remarkable player. And, and I say that specifically player because if you see he's a remarkable quarterback, that's one thing. I just think he's a terrific football player that plays the position of quarterback. He can throw, he can run, he can do everything you need to do. And it's just, I mean, the AFC is such a talent-rich position at quarterback in these playoffs. And Deshaun Watson is every bit in the conversation, in my opinion, Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. I know Mahomes has an MVP trophy. Lamar Jackson's likely going to have an MVP trophy by the end of this season. But Deshaun Watson is every bit as exciting and every bit as fun to watch. And I think Deshaun Watson and what the Texans have give them an excellent chance to go into Kansas City and win this game. 
We talked about the changing of the guard at quarterback, but the Patriots not being in the divisional round just feels so shocking to everybody, I think. What are your thoughts on that franchise and how things played out for them down the stretch? They usually get better at the end of the year. This time it looks like they got worse. Yeah, it really does, and that's surprising to me. The loss to Miami was a real eye-opener. I was stunned by that. Losing in the playoffs is just shocking. I, I've always people always ask, you know, when the Patriots are struggling in the regular season, as they inevitably do, seemingly at the beginning of the year, and people always say, "Well, gosh, is this the end of the road for the Patriots?" And I always answered, "Well, oh, you know, Tom Brady's still there, Bill Belichick's still there. Until they're not performing at the level that they performed at for the last decade, I'm going to always assume they're going to figure it out." And this year they didn't. It's very odd, and I think it puts the Patriots franchise in a real interesting position now. You've always been able to stave off the Tom Brady decisions because you've been winning, and you're winning Super Bowls. You're not going to make a change. He's performing at a high level. The franchise is winning. They're raking in Super Bowls and Super Bowl trophies. Why would you change anything? Well, now they limped to the finish line. They didn't look good. Brady did not look like Brady for most of this year. Now you have some decisions, and I think you're about to see the Patriots go through a period of flux. And, and Mark, how much... Would Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft love to have Jimmy Garoppolo waiting right now as their quarterback mm. that they had a couple of years ago and then felt the need they had to get rid of him and continue that success? And, look, they were very successful without Jimmy Garoppolo, but there's no real heir apparent waiting right now in New England. And Jimmy Garoppolo is about the quarterback, the number one seed in the NFC side of the playoffs. It's really interesting stuff. Great drama off the field and on the field always in the NFL. Kevin Kugler joining us. So, Kevin, tell me, National Championship College football, it's been about 500 days, it feels like, since we last saw the semifinals. I just I don't know why they didn't play this week, but they didn't. But your thoughts on what we're going to see Monday when LSU gets together with Clemson? I, I love this LSU team. The story of Joe Burrow is one of the great stories in college football over the last, I don't know how many years. I mean, you talk about a guy who couldn't get the job won at Ohio State ends up leaving, goes to another power at LSU, develops into a quarterback that's going to be making himself a ton of money as a likely number one, number two, number three pick, depending on who wants to take him as their starting quarterback in the National Football League. They The offense that he has surrounded himself with, the defense that they have to back him up, I just think this LSU team looks too loaded in too many positions. I love Trevor Lawrence. I think he's a fantastic competitor. But I think Joe Burrow is just having one of those seasons that you just don't see too often in college football. It's a historic year, and I think he caps off this Cinderella run from the bench at Ohio State to the Heisman Trophy. I think he caps it off with one more trophy next Monday in the national championship. Kevin, I know you're in the throes of college basketball right now, but tell me, what are your early thoughts on this season? It's not even that early anymore if you talk to the coaches and the players, but to the fans, a lot of fans don't notice it until right now when we get deep into conference play. But what are you thinking here this part of the college basketball season? I know, you, I know you've done a number of games already. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, we're, we're right in the middle of all of it right now. Uh, Gonzaga is a team that appears to have something at every position, and they have one of the best college basketball coaches in the, in the world in Mark Few. Butler is a team that nobody is talking about right now, but they defend at such a high level that even with an offense that is less than stellar, they have been able to defend to almost a perfect record, only one-point loss to Baylor, the only blemish on Butler's radar. So that's one to keep an eye on as you go into college. As people get out of the NFL mode and start Mm -hmm. to focus on college basketball, watch Butler in the Big East. That's a team that nobody's talking about right now. I think they'll create problems. 
in the Big Ten, Michigan State looks like they've started to hit their stride. And I know this will be a big surprise to casual basketball fans. Tom Izzo getting a team better as the season goes along. Every single year it happens. He's sort of like the Bill Belichick of college basketball. They may not be great early, but by the end of the year, they're going to be right there in the mix. And I think Michigan State's going to be right there in the mix at the end of the season again. All right, Kevin. Well, have a good call, and we look forward to seeing you on Sunday when the Texans take on the Chiefs. Thanks so much. Excited to see you guys down in Kansas City. We'll see you then. That is one of my favorite guys in this business, Kevin Cougar right there. He is absolutely salt of the earth. Great, great dude. Does Westwood One, does Big Ten Network, college football, pro football, college basketball, college baseball, college World Series. He does NFL playoff games for Westwood One. He's just phenomenal. Kevin Kugler with Mark Vandermeer, two men that you will hear calling the game on Sunday at 2.05 from Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. Okay, we get back. Let's do a little more likely to happen with Mark Vandermeer. Yes, the voice of Texas stops by to put me on the spot next on Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, your host, football analyst and silent reporter, getting ready for this Sunday's matchup with the Kansas City Chiefs. And joining me right now is my partner on Sunday's Mark Vandermeer, the voice of Texas. Mark, how are you doing? Johnny, I'm doing so well. This is the playoff week we've been waiting for. Get to the divisional round, yep. get beyond this round. Then next week I'll say this is the one we've been waiting for. <laughs> but for now, this is the one. Well, See? if we're following the loss-win-win trend, I mean, mm-hmm. we're a lock this week. A lock. A oh, lock. According to the trend, according we're a lock. To the trend. You know, it's so funny because everyone asks me what I'm thinking about this game, and I'm thinking – you know, I just witnessed a contest where the Texans were down 16 nothing, and along the way back, Watson had to escape attack where two hum- uh, a sack where two human beings were ready to crush him like yeah. a grape, and he somehow wiggled out of it, and they won the game. So don't ask me what my predictions are, because this stuff is clearly, if anything, unpredictable. Yeah, it's very much that. And I, <laughs> I know people have asked me, well, what do you think of the Chiefs? What do you think? And I'm like, well, all I know is we played them earlier this year, and we beat them. But apparently they're a different team. We're a different team. So who knows what's going to happen on Sunday? Yes. As I my stockbroker would say, past performance does not indicate future results. This, this much is true. But more likely to happen mm-hmm. produces some great more results. More likely to happen. Yes, there let's play the game. Is. Let's do it. All right, Johnny. All I've right. got the more likely to happen for you right here. More likely to happen. Let's, let's have it again. More likely to happen. More likely to happen. Watson has more rushing touchdowns, or the Chiefs have more rushing touchdowns. Rushing touchdowns of the game. Now, Watson could run two in, you know. He He had two last time. Yeah, see? And the Chiefs, they might score via the air only. Who knows how they handle it? Damian Williams, Sean McCoy, those guys. I guess Mahomes is capable of running one in as well, but what do you think here? Boy, it's kind of fantasy football or prop bet stuff, but this is what we do on more likely. I I think it's more likely mm-hmm. that Deshaun scores more rushing touchdowns. Okay, I think two is not outside their own possibility because anytime the Texans get inside the ten yard line, he's, I mean, he's as good an option to carry the football. He's as viable an option mm-hmm. to carry the football as anybody could be. Part of the arsenal. Yeah, absolutely. So. I do think, and this does worry me a little bit, I do think Damian Williams has become the guy for their running game, and I do think they'll want to get him involved. And he had two rushing touchdowns in Week 17 against the Chargers, and in both of them he was 
the 85 yard touchdown run was just a joke. Um, a joke meaning he was Chargers, so good. No, the Chargers okay. had three guys hit him and, and seemingly tackle him, and like six guys just stopped playing. And he Rivers just, had the RV fired up already. Yeah, they just stopped, and he spun and took off down the sideline, 85 yards. The other one, he did the same kind of thing on a shorter distance. He just plowed through everybody, mm-hmm. and the Chargers are like, "Yeah, okay, sure, you can score," and he did. And then a few minutes, uh, not even a few minutes, a few seconds later, the Chiefs fans found out that the Dolphins had beaten the Patriots, and it was a big celebration. Either way, I do think Damian Williams has become more of a viable running weapon for them, especially down in the red zone. But I just think that Deshaun, with Carlos Hyde, with Duke Johnson, they've got three viable options down in the red zone that can run the ball in. Yep. So I do think that Deshaun will have – he will have a touchdown or two rushing the football – and that will be more than the Chiefs get. Even with Damian Williams playing better and doing more things, I still think Deshaun will be uh, above and beyond him and the rest of the Chiefs. Okay, let's get to the next one more here. More likely to happen. More likely to happen. Hopkins over 100 receiving yards or Travis Kelsey over 100 receiving yards. Oh, man. Now, Hopkins had a really good game last time, but not in the yardage department. I'm not going to say it wasn't a good game or that right. wasn't good yardage because it was significant yardage. It, it was, was all very key yardage. It right. was 55 yards, and he was doing what he needed to do, pick up first downs, move the sticks like he did at the end of the game, enabling you to kill the clock. So, look, yards are not always yards, okay? I'd rather have that, those 55, than 200 in a loss. Yeah. And they were surgical yards by DeAndre Hopkins. I think to stop Kansas City, you've got to stop Kelsey. And I think that the Texans against the Chiefs corners, I, I still don't think the Chiefs corners are, are great. And I do think that the Texans will probably try and push the ball down the field a little bit, and that means that Hop's going to see some more more activity. The flip side is I don't think the Chiefs are going to allow Hop to get over 100 yards. So I actually think both of them are under 100 yards. I think the key to this is if Fuller plays, what does Kenny Stills do? Yeah. Because Kenny didn't play in that game. And on the flip side for the Chiefs, what does Sammy Watkins do? Because Sammy Watkins didn't play in that game in right. six against the Texans. So those two end up being key. I think the Chiefs will try and take away Hop. I think the Texans will try and take away Kelsey. I think that the Texans have shown that they can slow down Kelsey. He had Hop had nine receptions. Mm-hmm. Nine. So if he gets nine receptions this time, he's definitely getting over 100 yards. So I'm going to go with Hop over 100. Okay, sounds good. More like likely to happen. More likely to happen. More passing yards. Ryan Tannehill this weekend or Kirk Cousins this weekend. Oh. Who throws for more? And, you know, Derrick Henry's going to be a featured situation here as the Tennessee Titans go to Baltimore. But for the Minnesota Vikings, Dalvin Cook, you know, they want to run that football when they go on the road in the Bay Area. So which guy is going to get more passing <sighs> yards, Tannehill or Cousins? And both – Players having a career. I can't even call it a renaissance. This is yeah. a career surge that a lot of people didn't see coming for either guy. It's it, Man, you've got really good at this. Mm-hmm. This is really this tough. This is a tough one. This is really tough because my when you said Tannehill and Cousins, I'm like, Cousins is doing that for a second week in a row. And then I'm like, wait a second. Both of them are going to fall behind. Both of them are going to have to throw the ball. Oh, boy. Who do I trust? Do I trust the Vikings receivers against the Niners secondary, or do I trust? Man, this is tough. Because San Francisco, and Baltimore, San Francisco and Baltimore are built pretty similarly on defense. So, man, I don't know that you're going to throw for a ton of yards. But I do think, not. I do think that Tennessee will, will pound the clock more. 
Okay. So I think you're going to get even more Derrick Henry. You're going to get uh, Deion Lewis even. You're going to – and maybe even Ryan Tannehill running the ball. I don't think they'll want Tannehill to throw it a bunch. Mm-hmm. I think Cousins will tack on some extra yards at the end after what's probably going to be a blowout. I mean, they're going to want to run Dalvin Cook too. But I do think with Thielen and Diggs, they're going to feel like, hey, let's make sure we've got balance against San Francisco – so I'm going to go with Cousins having more passing yards. Tannehill have more than that last week, which right. isn't saying a whole lot. He could have that on one play, an 80-yard bomb to A.J. Brown. Right. But Or you throw a short pass to A.J. Brown and he runs it in. Right. But I think that Kirk Cousins will end up tacking on some nice playoff fantasy numbers after the game is well out of hand. How about well, that? it's interesting because uh, this is like the Spider-Man gif, you know. <laughs> where the same guy, you know, with no, with well, but with Minnesota and San Francisco, yeah. the way they play offense a mm-hmm. little bit here, because they both have the Kubiaki and and Mike Shanahanian, yeah, it's true, West Coast offense, the influence, influence yeah. here, and and they're both trying to do similar things with bootlegs and let's yep. run the ball and let's do all that. You know, Garoppolo obviously have a lot more faith in like in all likelihood than Kirk Cousins, although Kirk Cousins completely changed the narrative on his career, yes. with the performance at New Orleans. But what made that work? Running the football and the defense respecting that yep. run. So Absolutely. Let's see if it works out. Okay, so your pick wow, is picking Cousins over Tannehill. You're going Cousins it. this week. We're going to check your oh, work. Oh my goodness. Next week. All I right. Next one. It. More likely to happen. More likely to happen. This is a weird one. Okay. Amy like Fairbairn points or Duke Johnson carries. So let's look oh, at it this way: wow. If the Texans score twenty-eight points with four touchdowns, that's four. Oh, I know the answer points. to this. If we change it a little bit, okay. If we say Duke Johnson touches, I'll take his touches. Oh, I'll take Duke Johnson touches. Okay, but he but, doesn't carry it a whole lot, and I'm, I'm thinking that in any moment, not that they don't like Carlos Hyde at over hundred yards last time these two teams got together. You know, yeah. they'd love to see that again. Yeah, and they'll give him every opportunity to get it. No doubt. But I just have a feeling if they're running the ball, Duke's going to get. Maybe more of a taste. I don't know. Maybe that's just wishful thinking or uh, projected thinking or whatever. I I know they like the way he runs the ball, but they like Hyde an awful lot. He's the featured back if you had to declare one here. So Kaimi had six points last week because mm-hmm. he didn't kick any extra points. He had just the two field goals, the one that cut that? it to 16-11. Oh, yeah, because they went for two twice. Right. So he had six points. So that, that was two field goals. Now, right. if you have a couple touchdowns and a couple field goals – that's two. That's eight. Will Duke have more than eight carries? I think that's probably about the number I was thinking. I don't think it's that many, honestly. I think the over. If I'm in Vegas right now, if if you say you're gonna get a job at the Desert Inn, which doesn't exist anymore, right? But I've been there actually. Or the or the Riviera. Does the Riviera? I don't think the Riviera exists. Yeah, I don't think it. They exists shot anymore. casino there at Riviera. When I went to the when I went to the Vegas Bowl with the Chippewas, uh-huh. I did a big trade with the Riviera. Traded out rooms. That was like my greatest tradeo experience ever. <laughs> tradeo. Traded out rooms, traded out a rental car, traded out meals, traded out a ton of stuff. That was tradeo heaven right there. Oh, Back man. in the day when you could really do that in Radio Land. Anyway, so uh, if I was one of those guys, though, I digress, I would put the uh, amount, the over-under on Duke Johnson carries, just straight carries, at like four and a half. I go over that because I think I think Hyde is going to get a ton. I think Watson will get some because you know by design or not, and they're going to throw the ball. You know, but but what did Bill O'Brien tell us in the studio earlier this week? Can we say that he would? He was it was on the air. Yeah, it was on the air. Like you know, they don't want to see. You know, look, this is kind of the way they want to do business if yeah. they possibly. And 
look, it's not a revelation. You'd love to have your quarterback only throw it 25, 30 times. That'd be right. great because right. that means you're probably moving the ball on the ground. You've got great balance. You're making some hay that way. Uh, if your quarterback is throwing 40, 45 times, well, what is that saying? Yeah. You're probably behind or you have no right. running game whatsoever and you're just doing short dump-offs or whatever you want to call them to move the football through the air. Well, to your point, last time against the Chiefs, mm-hmm. Duke had five carries. Carlos had, I'm a genius. Carlos had 26. However, this is a different opportunity. Yeah, I know. I think Duke's carries are seven or eight. Okay. Here's the thing, though. Mm-hmm. I think that Kaimi gets to at least eight points, at least two touchdowns with extra points, and at least two field goals. Okay, because they're playing better defense right now. The Chiefs are at least. But you know, I he looking, might have more. I'm just saying. I think that's the minimum baseline. That's look, gonna. That that's 20 points right there. So how much mm-hmm. more beyond that? I think that I think that Kaimi will have more points than Duke has carries. Looking, that was not a weird one. That was a good one. All right, that's a, right. a very good one. Here's a straightforward one on more likely to happen. More likely to happen. More sacks. The Texans get sacked more or the Chiefs get sacked more. Or the Texans have more sacks than the Chiefs. I guess I could have worded it that way. But okay. who's going to get more sacks? Chris Jones being added to the mix worries me. It worries me. And to Here's, be clear, I had a question thrown at me. Is this the Chris Jones that the Texans let go of a long time ago after a practice squad? It's a different Chris Jones. No, that's a way different, way different Chris, Chris Jones. Because like, that Chris Jones ended up different. with the Patriots and didn't have as long a career right. as. He, yeah, but he, he ended up having like a. Well, he was there for like two three years, but in that first year, he went to the Super Bowl with them and was on the field for the Malcolm Butler interception. Uh, but that's Yikes. a different story for a different day. He uh, This Chris Jones is very, very good. He. <laughs> I'm worried more about the pressure that he creates than ultimately the the sacks that he gets. But now you're throwing Terrell Suggs in the mix. Frank Clark is playing much better, and that does worry me that they're gonna get they're gonna get some they're gonna get some sacks. But with Watt back, with Jacob Martin playing well, with Whitney pretty much now one on one against guys because teams are concerned about what JJ's bringing to the party. I, this is all to me. This is almost this is even. So if it's even. I'm going with the good guys, and I'm going okay. with the Texans getting because last time the Texans ended up with one huge sack. Mm-hmm. That was the Amenahu sack. Uh, they ended up with one sack and <laughs> two quarterback hits. Deshaun was not sacked, and there were two quarterback <laughs> hits. Ooh. These offensive lines played extremely well last time, and the sack came from Charles Amenahu, which is a big one because they got the fumble off of that. But there were the Texans did get some pressure on Mahomes at key times, and that was the key. I don't think either one of these groups gives up a ton of sacks, but I would probably say from a sack perspective, as much as I want it to be the Texans, I do think the Chiefs with Suggs now added to the mix opposite Clark with Chris Jones. I do think the Chiefs will probably get a couple of sacks, and hopefully that's about it. Hopefully the Texans are right there as well, but I just think playing at home, getting off on you know with the noise and how that impacts the Texans, I think the Chiefs will end up with a couple of sacks, and I'm going to give them the slight edge on this one. By the way, tomorrow night we're going to be at the Texans team shop with John McClain. You'll be there, of course. Kevin Walter's going to join us for oh, a bit. nice. Yeah, that'll be cool. And we're going to have food trucks out there, deep discounts up to 40% throughout the store. We're yep. giving away tickets to the Chiefs-Texans game. We are giving – yeah, we are. And we're also wow. giving away jersey. We're giving away all sorts of stuff tomorrow. So come on wow. by Texans Team Shop tomorrow. Sports Radio 610 is actually going to be there 2 to 6. Then we'll be there 6 to 8 p.m. How about cool. that? That's going to be nice. Mark, yeah. appreciate you stopping by. Thanks, Johnny.
That was really fun. And that was hard, man. Mark came up with some really, really good questions. That's about as hard as trying to block Jacob Martin. How about catching up with the edge pass rusher next right here in Texans All Access? Down at 27 at the Houston 42. No backs. Allen shotgun. Here's the snap. Here's the rush. Allen scrambling. Martin checked him back at the 36-yard line. My goodness. Jackpot. Jackpot from Jacob Martin making a sack right there on fourth down. His first of the game was absolutely phenomenal coming off the edge. And chasing Josh Allen. Oh, my goodness. Jacob Martin can fly. He can fly. Now, hopefully he will be back for the game on Sunday. He did miss today's practice with illness. But when he wasn't sick, DP Sitter had a chance to catch up with him, and what a great interview it was. And I just learned that you wanted to do broadcast journalism, so I feel like this is a great foray for you. Oh, it's a great, it's a great, great intro. You know, okay. it's a great way to get my, my feet wet and, uh, and, and back in the swing of things. I know. like it. So it's awesome. Do you miss being in front of the camera? Well, technically I'm still in front of the camera. Well, you know? you, yes, that's true. You know? But you're not interviewing anyone. You're the one getting interviewed usually after games and stuff. I think it's a good, it's a good practice. You know, this gets me gets me ready to be a little bit more comfortable in front of the camera. So yeah, I think you're doing all right. Oh, thank you. Let me just say that when you did your first press conference uh, in the locker room around media, you had talked about coming back to Houston, and everyone just sort of stopped because I don't think a lot of us knew that you were from Houston. Obviously, now we know that you grew up in Katy, but. Mm-hmm. In your bio, it listed that you went to high school in Colorado. Give, give me a little bit of background. So I lived in Houston from birth till, I don't know, maybe like kindergarten, first grade. Okay, so you were pretty young. Yeah, so like I, I like I never really got to live in Houston, you know, or I like never got, really got to like experience Houston, like where you're like in your teen or like early teen years where you're going and exploring the city and things like that, you know. Um, obviously, we come, we came back and forth and visited quite often, quite frequently. Um, we ended up moving to Colorado. I lived out there for 10, 13 years. But you, I see you with the cowboy hat before the game, so I feel like you just embraced being a Texan very quickly when you came back. Uh, well, it was, it was nothing new to me, you know. That's that's something that. Like well, here we go, in Texas. Yeah, I'm just back home in Texas, you know. When I was looking at your bio, you grew up in Aurora, Colorado. A lot of people know that as the place where a few, several years back, yeah. there was that mass shooting at the movie theater, and I heard this story that just literally gave me goosebumps. You were supposed to be at that showing of yeah. The Dark Knight that night, weren't crazy, you? Crazy, crazy, yeah. You How know. did you not end? Okay, tell me, give us the background, because I want to hear you tell this story. Okay, so I'll give the... I'll I've give heard the, a version of it. I'll, I'll give the, the, the um, most accurate rundown. Uh, I would say, so like, it was, I'm in high school, I went to maybe sophomore year high school, sophomore year, it was 2012, right? Right, yeah. right. So sophomore year high school, it's summertime, and... We're trying to go see the new premiere of The Dark Knight, you know, normal high school. As most high school kids were. Right. You know, a lot of, a lot of the people there were um, either teammates or students that, I, that we knew from the other high schools in the area and stuff like that. But uh, we called multiple, like, multiple um, theaters, you know, me, me and a group of seven friends, you know, and uh, we, went, we decided to go with the cheaper option, which was uh, Century 16. Um, you know, it was the neighborhood... Uh, theater they still had the student tickets you know so we're like cool bet we don't have to pay full price for a ticket we can just get our normal seven seven dollar and fifty cent ticket and keep it pushing you know so i called ahead to try to reserve seven tickets you know they didn't have seven they only had four so we ended up we're just like oh, well i don't know four of us aren't just gonna go and leave everyone else so um, we decided to go there's a golf course 
right around the corner from my house. So we just hung out on the golf course, you know. This is like, keep in mind, it's also like midnight because it's a midnight premiere. It was the midnight show. Yeah, so like we're like. on a golf course that was open. Okay, resourceful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could, say, you could say that. You could say it was open. <laughs> yeah, so you guys, are, you guys are playing golf. Yeah. Did anyone think that you had actually gone to see the movie? Yeah, like my parents. parents my parents did because they didn't realize, like, they didn't know that. That you had changed plans. That we had changed plans, you know. And oh I'm just gosh. thinking, like. Whatever, like, we didn't go. I'll just show back up at normal curfew time. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that big of a deal. My phone, like, my phone dies. And um, all we can hear is, like, police sirens, like, zooming down Smoky Hill Road. Or Rapo, is it Rapo Road? It's Smoky Hill or Rapo Road, one, one of, like, the two major roads. Um, just zooming down. Um, we're trying to figure out, like, what's going on. No one right. really knows what's going on. So then I just go home. I'm two minutes away from the golf course. I go home. My parents are, like freaking out trying to figure out like they're trying to call me and my phone's dead and I'm like I'm like what are you guys talking about oh we're at the golf course like we never end up going to the movie theater and they told me what happened and I was like oh wow like that's that crazy. is crazy I mean crazy. I heard that story and I thought that must have shaken you up yeah it was it was crazy like I, I you knew you know a lot kn- of those we kids we knew a, a crap ton of people that know? were at the theater yeah. that night yeah that is that is really scary. I really wanted to hear that from you because I'm sure that's shaped you as a person as you've gone sure. on through your life. Sure. Um, all right. So here you come back in Houston. You're reunited with your Texas roots. When you get the call, tell me what's going on. It's just the end of preseason. You're with Seattle. You're mm. heading into your second year. You've had a pretty good off season. You think things are going well, and you find out you're getting traded. So uh, when I got the call, I was actually I actually wasn't in Seattle. I was uh, in Philadelphia visiting my girlfriend. And we, um, she, like, just picked me up from the airport, and we're headed to her parents' house. And my phone was dead, so, like, I... Your I, phone is dead in a lot of these very important life situations. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm bad. I'm bad at charging my phone, all right? Clearly, okay. Okay. Phone's um, dead. That's beside the point, right? <laughs> so I plug my phone in, like, when I get in the car, and I, like, I'm, like, we're just having a normal conversation, and uh, we get to her parents' house, and I get a phone call around, like, 9 o'clock, and they said the trade went through... And I had no idea that I was... You didn't know that this was a scenario? No, but, like, I had a weird feeling about it, you know? Okay. Like, I knew, like, it was just another opportunity. So I was, exci- I was excited, obviously, to come back to Houston, you know, and uh, I play with, play with some, some great players, you know. Um, obviously, uh, Seattle was missed and, and will be missed, but, you know, I'm here in a, in a great city with a, with a great opportunity ahead of me. You, know? you had to turn around and get your stuff here really quickly because I remember you yeah. showed up and there were still boxes from Seattle that were arriving yeah. uh, for you the next few days. Was there a lot of pressure being that it was part of a trade with Jadevian Clowney, a former number one overall pick? How about for yourself? Did you put pressure on yourself to fit into this new defense early on? No, I, w- I wouldn't say I put pressure on myself to, or compare myself to anyone. You know, I think it's, it's important to, to understand what you bring to the table, um, not to compare yourself to anyone else. You know, try to keep yourself as organic as possible. You know, obviously they saw something and I... I it was very flattering, you know, to know that that you were being that you were your name was involved in a trade with. Uh, like they wanted you to right, come here, right? Okay. You know, so. Uh, and you actually have more sacks on the season. Than <laughs> I mean, I don't know if anyone knows that you're three and a half. He's three. Oh, Not yeah. that it matters, no. but I just thought I'd put that out there for you. Yeah. Your first Monday Night Football, Drew Brees and the Saints. Your brother plays for the Saints. Coincidentally, yeah. he wasn't playing that night though. No, but no. How surreal was that? You had a quarterback hit on Drew Brees. You had a great first game in your mm. debut as a Texan. What did your brother have to say about you after the game? Um, my brother was excited. You know, this is something that like he he has been looking forward to for so long um, because there's such a big age gap. I, mean, I would say like not a huge age gap, but like there's a significant age gap to where we have never 
played organized sports together. Really? Yeah. So, like, at any point in time, you know, I was always, like, if he was playing football, I was always, like, the water boy or, like, the ball boy, <laughs> you know, so. Quite a few years yeah. younger. Yeah. Okay. So, it was about maybe five, a five, six-year difference. It was awesome for him, you know, and I was, I was super excited because I never shared a field with him, you know. Even though he was, he, he, he was hurt during the game, you know, it still meant a lot, you know, that we are on the same level, you know. So, it's a blessing. Fast forward a few weeks later, now it's Sunday night football. Mm -hmm. Texans are playing the Patriots. One and a half sacks, three quarterback hits, one TFL. You set single game career highs in that game against Patriots. First of all, I think you must really enjoy playing on primetime, but what is it about this defense that's allowed you to just play the way you've been playing this season? You know, I would just just say it gave me an opportunity. You know, I I don't think anything has changed necessarily for my game, but obviously it just continues to to elevate you know but I was kind of just really just picking off from where I left off last year you know and trying to keep things going and continue to work continue to learn from the guys we have in the locker room you know and just thankful for the opportunity to have you know to to be able to, to, to play this game and to play here in Houston you know and whatever the team is going to do. Bill O'Brien when he talks about you he said the other day that you run about 100 miles per hour um, that you're someone to watch in practice because you're just full go all the time I'm mm-hmm. paraphrasing but basically he did say 100 miles per hour for you, where, where do you get your work ethic from? And, and is there a chip on your shoulder from uh, the situation that you're in? Or has that really just always been your mindset? No, that's always been my, like, I, my, how we were raised, you know, it's like our, our family, like, mantra almost. Like, nothing beats a failure but a try, you know? Nothing beats a failure but a try. But a try. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if you fail, the only thing you can do is get up and try. try again. You know what I mean? So keeping that in mind, you know, and I'm a big believer in how you do anything is how you do everything. You know what I mean? So, like, it may it may be – it may seem like I'm going 100 miles an hour, you know, all the time, which mi- which might be the case, you know, but it's, it's very controlled. It's very it's very detail-oriented, you know, um, making sure my footwork is right or hand placement is right and things like that. Um, just focus on the little, the little aspects of my game because those things that you can teach your body to consistently do, you know, just become second nature to you. So You mentioned control. I know that you are a big fan of the martial arts. Mm. And you studied quite a few of them in high school and beyond. I don't know if you still do, yeah, but how yeah. much does that sort of factor into your game and how you approach it? I would say, I would say that's jiu jitsu, right? Or yeah. So, so I picked up I picked up jiu jitsu um, just recently, like in the past two years. Okay. Um, for my brother, my brother actually uh, started doing jiu jitsu his rookie year with Tom Ali and the uh, the Gracie family, um, basically the, the the inventors of Brazilian jiu jitsu. So. How, how does that help football? Because I know a number of I know Brian Cushing was a big fan of it as well. Yeah. I would say it's, 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 it provides a lot of different aspects, you know, that a lot of people don't think about, you know, when it comes to football. Um, it, it's, a, it's about control, you know, and you don't always have to feel the need that you're, that you're like, in control, if that makes sense. It makes you comfortable being uncomfortable because, like, when you're rolling around during jiu-jitsu, you know, you may find yourself in very uncomfortable positions, you know, and it may seem that you're like, it may seem that you're not in control, but the whole object, the whole, like, how I think of it is, like, when you're not in control, are you really, like, as you think to yourself, are you really not in control? Like, but you're, you're at peace with it. It's like, exactly. it's like an organized chaos almost, exactly. right? Exactly. Like, we yeah. know this is not what we have any control over, but it's okay. Yeah, it's all right. You like, get, I'm, yeah, you I'm get not. get yourself in and out of situations. Yeah, because uh, there's, a, there's a lot of give and take. You know, so there's it, that aspect of, of football, you know, and obviously hand combatives, you know, um, when it comes to pass rushing and things like that and understanding how the body works and, um, 
that there's different ways to trap and different parts of the body. So you were you were a defensive end coming out of college into mm -hmm. the draft. So when did you make the switch from defensive end to outside linebacker? I would say I've always done the same thing. Is it kind of like <laughs> you just interchangeably did I both? Just, I just think like the difference between defense defensive end and outside linebacker is I don't I don't play a four eye. You know like I, I it's don't. minimal in, in yeah. Romeo Cornell's especially. But I don't yeah. know sometimes they list guys particularly as a DE or as an OLB. Actually, Clowney was the opposite. Yeah. You know, so like was I, defensive I, end. I was like, uh, for me, it doesn't, like the verbiage doesn't, I've done the same thing my whole career. Because you had to, you had <laughs> so, to gain a lot of, but did you, did you not have to gain a lot of weight? I, I, I'd read somewhere that Pete Carroll wanted you to gain quite well, a bit of weight. Well, I've always, like I, I've always uh, have played at or around, you know, in between 238 and 243, you know, around there. Um, in college, I was a little bit heavier. I think my heaviest in college, I was 267. Oh, wow. You know, my senior year. So, uh, it just, I wouldn't say necessarily made me gain weight, but maybe maintain weight, you know. Um, and, la and last year was a, was, a learning was a learning experience, you know, every day, you know, because. You were a rookie for one. Right. Every yeah. day was literally a new day. Brand new day. You know, there, I only had, I had no prior experience to what a week 14 or a week 8 felt like or because you're not usually playing this time of year right no you're done you know what I mean so like you're not you're not playing you're you're trying to learn how to take care of your body and how to be professional you know this is the first time you're really like an adult adult like mm -hmm. college was nice you're living on your own things like that but like you weren't necessarily paying bills because you're on scholarship so um it was a learning experience last year which I, I don't learn a lot which is awesome all right I see you with the linebackers you guys get along really well like yeah. I would never guess that you just got here before yeah. the start of the season the rock boys you're part of them. I know you're not the part that dresses up. That's the inside linebackers. Yeah, the outside linebackers keep it. You guys are pretty individualistic on game days, right? Yeah, yeah. How, how have you liked that group of, of guys that you're playing with? Because you all seem different in your experiences and what you're into, but yet you all get along. You all seem to have a real fun, fun sense of humor and fun energy about you. I'd say the energy's right with that group of guys. Yes, you know, energy. Um, so everyone kind of just like meshes, gels together. Like me and Mingo obviously know each other. Um, you know, but I've, I've always watched Whitney Merciless from afar, you know, and, uh, and and Scar, you know, that's a great dude, you know, so that's a that's a great. That's we a like him. Dude. We that's like we dude, like man. all them too. He's a, a bad, bad dude. That's a bad dude, man. <laughs> Were you also in gymnastics in high school? I did gymnastics like growing up. Growing up, what, uh, what was your what was your event? I just I was like it was more like the first sport I played. Okay. Before I did like before like I did martial arts, it was like it was kind of just like oh yeah let's go play on the rings, Jake. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm imagining the, the Olympics where you're no, swinging the rings or no. you're doing the vault, something no, super fancy. I don't, now. Th I don't think I never got that far. I never okay. got that far. It was more like a like a year, like a, I was six years old and I had too much energy. My mom put me in. There is little doubt that dude has got a lot, a lot of energy. A big thanks to everybody who participated on the show. Obviously, DP and Jacob right there, Taiwan Jones, Mark Vandermeer, Kevin Kugler, all of you for listening to my guys back at Sports Radio 610. Thank you so much. We'll see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.